This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. This morning I'd like to begin this message by reading to you some words that I came across written by a man who was having all sorts of troubles within himself. I think we could well say this man was at war with himself. Have you ever felt like this? Here's what he had to say. I often find that I have the will to do good, but not the power. That is, I don't accomplish the good I set out to do, and the evil I don't really want to do, I find myself always doing. Yet, if I do things that I don't really want to do, then it's not I who do them, but it's sin, which has made its home within me. When I come up against the law, I want to do good, but in practice, I do evil. My conscious mind wholeheartedly endorses the law, and yet I observe an entirely different principle at work in my nature. This is in continual conflict with my conscious attitude and makes me an unwilling prisoner. In my mind, I'm God's willing servant, but in my own nature, I am bound fast to the law of sin and death. It is an agonizing situation. Who on earth can set me free from the clutches of my own sinful nature? That sounds like a pretty miserable person, doesn't it? There are some people who will readily admit to having conflicts within themselves. Others say that, no, it's not I, it's other people who deviate from what they should be. Well, the truth is that every problem in this world is caused primarily by the failure of individuals like you and me to be able to manage ourselves. Yes, it would be nice to be able to say that all the problems are with other people, but that's just not true. Even if you have managed yourself pretty well up to now, which, by the way, most of us have not, (laughs) there is nothing to keep us from becoming a failure an hour from now. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, So the man who thinks he stands securely must be on the lookout not to fall. In Galatians 6, 1, we read, Brothers, if anybody is caught in the very act of doing wrong, you who are spiritual in the spirit of gentleness must set him right, each of you continuing to think of yourself, for you may be tempted too. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 41, You must all keep watching and praying that you may not be exposed to temptation. Man's spirit is willing, but human nature is weak. Oh, how true this is. Our human nature is weak, and we're all so apt to fail. Our failure pattern is not the same for every person, however. We have some little phrases that we use in our everyday language in which we describe the loss of self-control. Let me give you a few of these. First, a person may blow up. All may be going well for a while, and then all of a sudden, this person flies off the handle and gives somebody a real tongue lashing. One time a man was having some dental work done, and the dentist said to him, hold your tongue out of the way now. The patient did, or at least he tried to, 
A few minutes later, the dentist had to say the same thing again. Please, please put your tongue over to the side. And then again, he had to say it. Finally, the man in the dental chair asked, Doc, why won't my tongue stay out of the way? Is the anesthetic you've given me keeping it from doing what I want it to do? The dentist replied, no, not really. The tongue is just hard to control. Well, centuries before modern dentistry, this was a truth that was well known. James, over toward the end of the New Testament, said, no man can tame the tongue. James chapter 3, verse 8. Jesus taught us, for by thy words shalt thou be justified, and by thy words shalt thou be condemned. Matthew 12, 37. There have been those in recent years who have advocated we should put no restrictions on our tongues. Just rather let them uh, come out with whatever they may. Better to exhibit your feelings, uh, let them out, than to inhibit them. Express, don't suppress, they say. Well, there is an element of truth in that. We must never forget that there's another truth, though, which says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. That's Proverbs 16, 32. There are times when children blow up at their parents. I've seen occasions when these parents just sit idly by and absorb anything the child wants to say. They don't want to harm the child's personality, they say. Well, when I was growing up, if I were to talk to my parents like that, more than my personality would have been hurt. Somewhere in all this, we must remember that the Bible teaches children, obey your parents. One way we fail is by just blowing up. Failure is expressed sometimes in another way. A person may fold up. When the emotional load of life gets so heavy, some people just give up. It may be something small or something big, which is for them the last straw. It could be a quarrel with a friend. It could be a disappointment in love. It could be the loss of a job, a divorce, or the breakup of a marriage. It could be a misunderstanding in church or a host of other possibilities which add up to more than you can take. Some people deal with frustration by just folding up. Let me, let me recount a story for you that you may have seen in your life, may have experienced even many times in your life in one way or another. Here's a little boy who goes next door to play with his friend. This little fella has just been given a bright new red wagon. And so the two little boys play along very happily for a while but then a disagreement occurs. The first boy says to the other one, if you don't play the way I want to, I'm going to take my red wagon and go home. Wouldn't it be nice if such folding up were confined only to days of childhood? We adults, oh, it still stays with us. Have you ever heard somebody say something like this? If that's the way they want to run things, I'll let them have it. Count me out. And you can think of many other expressions by such children. Another way in which people try to handle the loss of self-control. A person may go off the deep end. Like these other two approaches, this way is really failure too. But oh, how many people try this way. 
when I say go off the deep end, that can be in either of two directions. We think of this sometimes in college students who just left home, having lived so long under the controlled environment of their home. But once they gain their freedom, they sometimes indulge in all sorts of things which they might never have done back home. And we say this person has gone off the deep end. But it can be in another direction also. Have you ever known a person who was unsaved, who lived for the devil and didn't care who knew it? Then all of a sudden something wonderful happened. This person came to know the Lord personally. He was saved. But until a period of growth and Christian maturity could occur, this person became almost obnoxious because of a self-righteous attitude, a judgmental spirit, utter contempt of others who didn't see things exactly his way. He went off the deep end, but in the other direction. Well, whether a person blows up, folds up, or goes off the deep end, deep end these are all ways in which some people try to deal with feelings of frustration, like those described in the man's words I read at the beginning of the message this morning. It's really a sad state of being. Surely nobody wants to continue being at war with ourselves. And Jesus certainly came to free us from that. He wants us to have the abundant life. And we know that a house divided against itself cannot stand. But how in the world do we go about correcting this? When we feel so weak within ourselves, how do we begin to turn the thing around and quit having this war down inside? When I was in college at Furman University, we had what back in those days we used to call religious emphasis week. I remember it was one of those weeks when a man came to our campus who was a pastor from Kansas City. This man so impressed me that I bought one of his books and I found in it what I think was the way to end this war within ourselves. His name was Dr. Lofton Hudson. Dr. Hudson suggested three ways in which this war can end. First, he said, check up on your love life. It's no accident that the first commandment is, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. But you may ask, how is loving God going to help me deal with myself? Here's how. When a person has a deep love for God, he's constantly strengthened by that love. It removes unnecessary fears. 1 John 4:18 says, Perfect love casteth out fear. A missionary in Africa said that most of the people with whom she works are filled with fears. They're afraid of all kinds of spirits in a world of magic and superstition. But she said, we teach them that behind all these seemingly dangerous objects is a great loving heavenly father who controls all and who is always good. How do we learn love? Not by tightening our belt, not by sticking out our chin and saying, I'm going to love God if it kills me. <laughs> no. We learn love first by being loved and then responding to it. Even God's love will mean nothing to us unless we accept it. Then we prove our love to God as we pass His love on to other people. Check up on your love life. That's the first step. Then, secondly, admit your character defects. Be willing to say, 
there's something wrong with me here and here and here. Take that personal inventory, painful though it may be. There's really no healing that can take place mentally or spiritually as long as one is unwilling to admit any wrong in themselves. Most of us can probably relate to the feelings of the lawyer who asked Jesus one day, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus referred him to the law, which this man glibly recited, ending with the command to love thy neighbor as thyself. But this lawyer apparently had some misgivings about who his neighbor included. How far would he have to go in his love? And so before the question, and who is my neighbor? There's a very revealing phrase about this man, one which so often fits us as well. Luke records concerning this lawyer, but he willing to justify himself. There's no more miserable person than one who constantly is seeking to justify himself. One who is unable to admit that he's not always right. Sometimes I face this situation in talking with couples prior to marriage when one or both may have been previously married and now divorced. It's amazing to hear how so many people take the position, oh, the fault was not mine in that other marriage. It was my ex-husband, my ex-wife who was wrong. I am the innocent party. Whatever the sin may be, God never can forgive innocence. It's only when a person is willing to come to the place of saying, yes, God, I am the guilty one. I have gone astray. Then God can come in his great forgiveness. As long as we try to justify ourselves, we're still at war with ourselves. We cannot save our face and save our soul at the same time. And so finally, the, the real only way to end that war within ourselves is the third way, which really encompasses the other two. And that is give Jesus Christ your life. You remember those words I read at the beginning of the sermon this morning? That man went on to say something else. He concluded his pitiful description of his own internal agony by saying, I thank God there is a way out through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you haven't already figured it out for yourself, the man who wrote those words at the first of the sermon was a fellow we call the Apostle Paul from the New Testament. Do you have troubles inside? Are you at war with yourself? The only way to end that war is by turning your life over to Jesus and allowing him to give you his cleansing and forgiveness. Keith Miller once told of a deacon's retreat he led in which he took with him two men to share their life stories with the other men who were attending the retreat. It just happened that one of these men openly shared with the group a similar problem they both had encountered in the past. That was a problem with adultery. These two men shared with those deacons present how rough it was to try to wrestle with extramarital affairs and how their despair had come to be a wedge between themselves and God, not only with their wives. This discussion period was followed uh, 
the discussion period that followed these testimonies was a very stilted, uneasy discussion. The men went back to talking about church, organizational problems. And so after the session was over, the pastor approached Keith Miller, who had led this session. The pastor was rather upset with Keith Miller. He said, Mr. Miller, I'm afraid you've been talking to the wrong group. These men here who I have brought from our church, these men are Christians. They're deacons in my church. I know all these men personally. And if you keep on dealing with these kinds of personal problems like adultery, I'm afraid you're going to lose this group's attention completely in the next sessions. Well, that statement from the pastor was a real burden to Keith Miller. And he stayed up late in the office of the retreat center trying to think how he could change the direction of what he was going to do tomorrow to meet the needs of these 30 converted deacons, Christians, all of them. As he sat there in the office late at night, there was a knock on the door. It was one of the deacons. After a long talk and then prayer, this man left, only to be followed by another man and then another. Five of the deacons came in that night to confess that they had been wrestling also with the very same kinds of problems that those two men, speakers, had mentioned in their testimonies earlier that day. These men wanted to know if there was really any forgiveness for them, since they were committed Christians, and yet they had experienced problems in the realm of sex in their marriage. When they were assured that God does forgive, when there's confession and forsaking of sin, then each man thanked God for a new start in life. They found a new freedom in Christ. They found real joy. Listen, you can keep face in the community. You can pay your bills. You can be honest with other people. You can be so respectable publicly that other people will say of you, oh, that's a good man. That's a good woman. But what's the point in fooling everybody else if you're completely miserable inside? The Apostle Paul said one other thing that I want us to hear. In writing to the Ephesians, Paul mentioned the friction between Jews and Gentiles. But his words might well apply also to that internal tension in our lives when we're at war with ourselves. Paul says in Ephesians 2, verses 14 and 17, Christ is our living peace. He came and told both you who were far from God and us who were near that the war was over. One of our hymns we sing, You have learned, you have longed for sweet peace and for faith to increase and have earnestly, fervently prayed. But you cannot have rest or be perfectly blessed until all on the altar is laid. Are you willing to do that today? You may have been a professing Christian for many years. You've been a church member, maybe a leader in church, but there's still been that war down inside. But this morning, if you're ready to bring your life to Christ and open surrender to Him, for you too, the war can be over. Oh God, thank you for giving us your son Jesus who came to free us from ourselves 
and to give us a new, abundant, wonderful life in Him. May that be true of each person who hears these words now, we pray.